Welcome everyone to episode 63 of the 25 Live. My name is Jim Burnick and my special guest this week is Sean Mitchell. Now Sean is the Secretary Treasurer of the Nantucket Firefighters Local 2509 located on a little island there in Massachusetts. And I brought him on the show. I wanted to give him a platform to kind of share his story. You know, Sean is a firefighter. He's the end user, the tip of the spear, if you will. And he's been making all sorts of noise regarding this PFOS, PFOA that's in our fire gear. So he's been able to actually uncover a lot of different things. And I just wanted to give him the opportunity to share that with my listeners here. So without further ado, let's bring Sean in. All right, welcome everyone to this week's episode of the 25 Live. My name is Jim Bernica. My special guest this week is Sean Mitchell, all the way from uh, Nantucket, where he's the Secretary Treasurer of Local 2509. How's it going, Sean? Not bad, Jim. Uh, doing well here in Nantucket. I appreciate you having me on. Um, I'm, a, I'm a fan of your show. I've listened to it quite a few times over the past uh, 10, 12 months. So um, I'm happy to be here and, and talk with you. Well, good deal. Thanks, brother, for that. So I want to just jump right into it. That's kind of what I do. And uh, I think where we should start is your story is similar to a lot of stories out there. You got a message for some lady and just take it from there. <laughs> so uh, in 2017, um, as you said, similar to a lot of other stories. So I, we were probably one of who knows how many, maybe a thousand, maybe more messages that uh, Diane Cotter sent out to firefighters, fire departments, unions, uh, you name it. And uh, so that was in 2017. And the, her message was telling us that our turnout gear contained PFOA. And so probably like most of the other people who got that message back then had no idea what that meant, right? She, um, she was pretty passionate about it. And, uh, but again, I didn't know what it meant. And so we looked into it a little bit here. And what we did is contact our distributors, the people who sell us the gear, the people who, um, who come to the station and tell us all about our gear, basically. And so we heard back from them. gear was safe there was no pfoa in our turnout gear and that it's safe to wear nothing to worry about and so we we didn't really worry about it we we trusted those people and and you know they they were telling us what they were told um, those people didn't know either um, that's what i think anyway um, at that level and so they uh they told us there was nothing to worry about so we didn't worry about it and i think we got one more message from diane maybe a few months later um, reiterating her first message. Um, but again, we had been told that, that there was nothing to worry about in our gear. So, um, but, I, but I did look into Diane a little bit and I knew she was from Worcester, Mass, which is where I'm from. And so I started to follow her on social media, on Twitter uh, and Facebook. And, uh, but all the while I was just sort of assuming that her fight must have to do with her husband Paul and the gear that he had in Worcester um, or something like that because because as I said we had been told it didn't it didn't affect us so or maybe it was just the older gear that from back you know early 2000s late 80s when Paul was on the job um, and it didn't affect us uh, so 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 um, fast forward a couple of years nothing really changed until earlier this year in 2020 my union began to meet to negotiate a new contract. And so we talked a lot about uh, health and safety. That's our focus. We wanted to uh, try to improve some things health and safety wise. And one of the members of our negotiating committee is uh, a friend of mine named Nate Barber. And Nate is, uh, he's a captain. And he's uh, at the time, I think he's 38 years old. And he was out of work at that time of that meeting because he was recovering from testicular cancer. And so he had been diagnosed uh, just about a year ago, October of 2019, and quickly had to leave Nantucket, which is an island, of course, so to get to Boston for uh, medical treatment, which uh, creates a, a, whole, a whole extra 
um, amount of problems compared to people who maybe live uh, not on an island to get to get to uh, cancer treatment. So you add that to it, and he had been out of work for a few months. Um, so he had been through a lot, and he was telling us about um, what he had learned about AFFF and how the PFAS chemicals in AFFF had been linked to uh, a few things, including testicular cancer, which he was uh, at that time um, still fighting. And um, eventually the conversation sort of got back around to what we had been told by Diane. And we decided that we were gonna look a little bit deeper into what she had been telling us. Um, so again, we reached and this time they sent us actual letters from uh, the different textile manufacturers and the PPE manufacturers. Uh, and they were all dated around 2017 and we came to find out that was because they wrote those letters basically in response to what Diane had been telling everybody. Um, once she wrote an article and began contacting you know, the country. And so the, the manufacturers started to scramble and come up with their defense. And that was to write these letters that uh, essentially said sort of what we had been told back in 2017, um, vague language, probably written by high-priced attorneys that were saying, um, you know, PFOA is, is not uh, in your turnout gear um, in, in so many words. Uh, it didn't mention the fact that, that they really only phased PFOA out by 2016. So they wrote these letters in 2017 saying that uh, your gear does not contain PFOA, but they didn't mention that the gear that we were all wearing contained PFOA and that PFOA had been linked in a court of law thanks to uh, the C8 science panel that you have probably seen in the movie Dark Waters um, and all the work that Rob Balat did. So, you know, all that gear that we're wearing did actually contain the chemicals that Diane had been warning us about. Um, and so through that research from, from this uh, negotiating committee getting together, we realized that there was a problem with our turnout gear and that we wanted to do something about it, um, especially for Nate, who was battling a cancer that had been linked to these chemicals. And so we wanted him to come back to work with turnout gear that did not contain these chemicals. Um, and so we decided to write a letter to our town um, and request, you know, we provided uh, the letter, but we also provided uh, some research and some statistics on firefighters of cancer. Um, and we wrote a letter requesting that they replace all of our turnout gear manufactured prior to 2016, because still at that time, we thought, you know, at, at some point in 2016, maybe a little bit before, depending on the manufacturer, they, they had removed PFOA. And at that time, we didn't know that they just replaced it with other PFAS chemicals that are uh, probably just as bad, maybe worse, uh, depending how you look at it. So the letter was requesting replace all the turnout gear prior to 2016. We passed that across uh, to the town. They quickly accepted it um, because luckily we have a, a chief and town administration that understood the issue and understood that this, this is a risk um, and that they, you know, they wanted to help keep us safe. And they knew that uh, removing this old turnout gear with the PFOA in it would, would do that. So once they uh, accepted that, basically, we kind of got to work and had to try to figure out how are we going to replace this gear. And so that's really where all of my research um, started. And I had to figure out, okay, you know, they've agreed, which is amazing to replace our turnout gear. But now what are we going to get? And so the first thing I did was reach out to Diane Cotter. And um, up until then, I don't think I had ever, you know, interacted with her. I never responded to her messages, unfortunately, back in 2017. So uh, I told her kind of what we were up to and how basically all that she had written and her research uh, had helped us to get to this point. And that, that we were just sort of starting to look into replacement gear. Um, and she, she told me about a paper that uh, you're familiar with written by Graham Peasley that was coming out uh, back then. This was probably April, uh, March, April, sometime 2020. And she said, keep an eye out for a paper from Graham Peasley. Um, 
And so as we know, when that paper came out, it, it basically told us that there is no turnout gear that is PFAS free. And while they may have re re removed or eliminated PFOA from the older turnout gear, they simply replaced it with other PFAS chemicals, um, which are probably just as bad. They just haven't been studied as much as the PFOA has yet. Uh, and not only that, these, these short chain, as they call them, um, PFAS chemicals can degrade and become the longer chain PFAS chemicals. And then we're right back where we started, still being exposed to C8 and the long chain chemicals. So, uh, so really what I started as I realized that um, we may not have a choice uh, as far as finding PFAS free turnout gear, which was our goal. Um, so I started to, to sort of reach out to all of the textile and gear manufacturers that I could. Um, I, basically, I, I would just send them um, an online inquiry with a question and pretty much the same exact question to all of them. Some were very responsive, some uh, not so responsive. Um, and, and so that's sort of where I was back in the summer um, of this year, just listening to everything that they were telling me, trying to figure out what was true and what's not true. And um, still working to try to figure this whole thing out. What were some of the things that they were telling you back in the summer? Well, actually there's one, uh, there's one in particular that, that comes to mind and it's, it was because uh, the timing of it was just crazy. So I had a call set up with um, one textile manufacturer for a Friday. I think it was a Friday. And that morning, early that morning, we had a call uh, here at the fire department for a fire at our landfill. And so I responded to that, um, you know, came into the station from home. I had to put on my, my backup set of turnout gear because my, my newer set was being washed and uh, wasn't put back together yet. So my backup set of turnout gear was manufactured in 2009, right? So that um, certainly made with PFOA, um, and I wore that for probably three or four hours at that fire and then came back, you know, did sort of what you're supposed to do, took a shower, took the gear off, washed it, put my newer set together and, and got back into, uh, into service. But so later on that day, I called this uh, textile manufacturer and we were sort of talking and, and it came up where um, I told him that I, you know, I had some concerns about the older, what they would call legacy turnout gear because I'm still wearing it and PFOA um, and, and how that was uh, still in that gear. And he, he, uh, he basically told me that there's nothing to worry about even with PFOA. So even the one that we know causes cancer or, and other illnesses, he was telling me that there's nothing to worry about because the, the risk is, is minimal because the amounts that are in this gear are so low. And, um, and I couldn't believe he was saying that to me because everything I had learned up to that point was completely opposite. But of course he was saying that because they produce a textile that is loaded with uh, PFOA and not only firefighter textile, but many, many other things. And it's a huge part of their business. So certainly he's not going to, uh, come right out and, and agree with people like Graham Peasley or Diane Cotter. And so his proof that he offered me, because I, I told him I wanted to see some proof, um, a study, you know, some science that proved that. And so he sent me uh, what they call their exposure assessment. And it's a two page document. Um, and, and basically the point of the document is to say in short that PFOA exposure um, is, is, is basically nothing to worry about for firefighters, even from their old turnout gear, because um, the, the amount is so low in their old moisture barriers that uh, it, it will not basically cause these illnesses. And I'm sort of paraphrasing there. Um, so, but, but basically when uh, this exposure assessment, I looked into it a little bit further and at the bottom, 
a lot of the information in this exposure assessment came was came from um, a study, and it was referenced at the bottom. So I looked up the people who wrote this study, and the lead author of this study that supposedly is telling us that PFOA is completely safe. The lead author who wrote that is a a, a man named Stephen Washburn, who is, I, I looked him up, and he turns out. He is a defense expert for DuPont in multiple lawsuits. And then he's the lead author. Almost all the other authors are employees from DuPont, Chemours, and um, this other company, which I came to learn later. They're called Environ or Ramble. Um, one of them bought the other out, so I'm not sure which one they are now. But they're basically science for hire. Um, and so that's what this was. This paper was basically written by people who were hired. You know, they wrote the conclusion before they wrote the rest of it. You know, they knew what they were going to write. And now this guy is sending that out to firefighters to say, hey, don't worry about that gear you wore because it's completely safe. Here's scientific, here's scientific proof. And it's completely made up. <laughs> and uh, so that, that's really where it turned for me from just research and trying to figure out what we're going to do next to anger. Because how many other firefighters out there has he shown this to? And you know, they they just believe it, which I would have done last year or prior, you know. Um, but I had a little bit from talking to Diane to, up to that point to to know uh, that we have to look into these things a little bit further. And so that that really over the summer was where it turned for me. And I started to um, go into every conversation or email with these manufacturers and their salespeople um, through a lens of just, you know, I'm not gonna believe anything they tell me until they prove that it's true. And none of them up until, you know, even through today, none of them have been able to back up what they say. It, uh, you know, that's just one example of phony science being handed out to firefighters. There are, there are others from other manufacturers. So, um, you know, that's uh, that's just one story of sort of the research. It sounds awfully familiar. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately. So <clears throat> in your in your search for this PFOS free gear, is there any hope? Is there anything on the horizon at any point? Have any of these gear manufacturers, these textile manufacturers, have they said, you know what, we're going to get away from that. We're going to go with something else. I mean, are they even working towards it that you can tell? Uh, well, some are and some are not. So that, that story I just told you is um, a company called Gore, W.L. Gore. And everybody is probably familiar with Gore-Tex. And, um, you know, I have a pair of boots that aren't even made by Gore, but they're waterproofed by Gore. So, you know, gore is everywhere, raincoats, uh, all kinds of um, fabrics and, and things like that. And so that company, they've told me um, that they don't see anything on the horizon. They make a moisture barrier. And so the moisture barrier is made with PTFE, which is uh, basically a Teflon sheet. And so gore has told me that, you know, they don't, that's the reason why they sent me their exposure assessment is because they don't think that there's an issue with PFOA um, or any PFAS chemicals. So no, they, they uh, according to the person I spoke with, there is nothing on the horizon from them. There are other uh, moisture barrier manufacturers who say that uh, they would like to offer an alternative, but in order to pass the NFPA certification requirements, they have to use uh, Teflon basically. Um, so according to them, if the NFPA certification requirements change and so that they can meet the requirements of NFPA 1971, then they would offer an alternative. The, uh, the outer shell, there are a few textile uh, manufacturers who, as far as I know, already have a PFAS-free outer shell. Uh, they're not, I don't believe they're available yet, but they will be soon. Um, and so I, I think there is some hope 
probably in the near future that we, we could get some gear that does not have PFAS chemicals on the outer shell, at least, or the thermal liner. But until things change, um, from what I'm told at the NFPA, we don't have a choice and we will be wearing a moisture barrier made with Teflon. And then there's the argument of, um, you know, is, is the Teflon, uh, is it a risk to be wearing that? And, you know, the, the scientists can argue that one out. I, I believe it is. But I, if I lived in a community where they produce Teflon, I would tell you that I don't want it to be produced anymore because we look at, you know, North Carolina and West Virginia and New Jersey and all these manufacturing plants. And so, you know, the production of these things is contaminating entire communities and their water. Um, they incinerate it and then it, it, it just comes down and rains down and lands in their, in their land. Um, and then the other problem is end of life. So after we are done with our turnout gear, what are we gonna do with it? Are we going to throw it in a landfill? Because and get into our groundwater and um, it may not affect you and I, but our, our kids um, and, and grandkids will be drinking our moisture barrier basically. Um, so that's why we want completely PFAS free turnout gear. Um, there is, you know, some hope on the horizon. I think the, the, the more people like you and Graham Peasley and Rob Ballad and Diane and Jeff Kanabi and people like that are out and um, letting, letting this issue sort of uh, gain the relevance that it deserves, then I think, you know, we'll, we'll eventually get there. But um, right, right now, today, if we were going to purchase turnout gear, it would not only have the Teflon moisture barrier, but it would also have a PFAS um, outer shell. And there's no getting around that right now. No if getting had, around that. If you had to purchase something right now. Right, and that's why, so we, our, our town, um, they did agree to replace our turnout gear, but we have not replaced it yet because uh, what we were hoping to get is PFAS, completely PFAS free turnout gear and it doesn't exist right now. Um, and, and we would like to get the outer shell and the moisture barrier to be PFAS free, but we may end up just um, needing to get the PFAS free outer shell with that Teflon moisture barrier until something else changes. Let me ask you this, because uh, you mentioned talking to all the textile companies and gear manufacturers. You mentioned also NFPA. Have you reached out and have you talked to these these kind of governing bodies or these these institutions that we as firefighters look to for direction and assistance, like like the NFPA, like the IFF, like the IFA, IAFC, the National Volunteer Fire Council. I mean, all those different organizations. Have you talked to them at all? And kind of have they, if you did, what were they telling you? I. I... I didn't necessarily reach out to the NFPA themselves, but I did reach out to some people who sit on the NFPA 1971 uh, committee. And so that's the, the this 1971 is the standard on structural uh, turnout gear. And um, so I reached out to a few of them by email, asked basically um, just some basic PFAS turnout gear questions. Um, and a couple of them, it turns out, are the same people that I spoke to uh, from the textile and gear manufacturing um, companies. They, they sit on the NFPA 1971 committee. So uh, they're the ones, you know, taking part in making the decision regarding the uh, certification requirements that require PFAS chemicals, right? They're the ones who sit that assist and make those decisions. So, you know, I spoke to them and I also spoke to um, somebody else and he was great. He got back to me right away and invited me to take part in a um, sort of a task group, they call it that from 1971, they've broken out into this task group that is looking at chemicals in our turnout gear and potentially making some amendments. Um, so we'll see where that, uh, where that ends up. But again, um, there are some people on there uh, who, 
who uh, work for and represent the manufacturers and you know they they don't have an interest you know they may they may be fine with offering an alternative but i don't know that they're ever going to admit that the stuff they've been selling us for decades is dangerous because then they they may be liable for that because they you know they've probably known that it's dangerous um at least some of them have and so they're not going to come out and say hey we need to get rid of all of this pfas gear because it's it's uh it's going to you know, potentially make you sick, potentially kill you, certainly going to harm the environment down the road. Nobody can dispute that. Um, they're not going to admit that because if I called them today, that's what they'd sell me, you know? So these people who sit on this committee, you know, they're, they're a little bit probably conflicted. Uh, so I don't know how that task group will go. Um, regarding the union, I've reached out to uh, my, my state union here uh, professional firefighters in Massachusetts, and I've sent them some letters and some information. Um, I did have one phone call where I sort of explained sort of the whole story um, of what we're doing here and why we're doing it. Um, and, you know, I, they haven't acted. The, I got some lip service back from them that they're, they're working hard behind the scenes, but uh, we haven't seen any evidence of that. And so, um, you know, I've, I'm just sort of, I'm contacting, uh, for the past couple of weeks, I've been reaching out to locals in my state, um, and in the area and, um, just sending them messages with, uh, some things that I've learned and things that they should look out for when they're purchasing new turnout gear, because, um, clearly our state union's not going to do that. It's like all of a sudden you've become Diane. <laughs> um, there's only one Diane, <laughs> um, but you know, she's right, you know, so that's why, you know, um, and it, and it took a while to really, for me to understand that she was right because, uh, it's a very complicated situation and, you know, you, you get on the phone with somebody who has a PhD and they've been working in the chemical industry for you know, their entire lives. And you kind of want to just believe what they're telling you, because, you know, why would they want to mislead me? Um, but there are people who are paid to mislead us. And, you know, it took me a while to, to realize that. And some of those people are the people who make the textiles and the turnout gear that we as firefighters have to wear every day. And uh, Diane has been trying to tell people that for years. And uh, some people listened right away. Some people like me, it took a while. Um, and but but I'm here now, and so that's why I'm I'm trying to uh, trying to also spread the message. You know, one of the things that kind of intrigued me to to getting you on the show is because I've talked to you know an attorney. I've talked, I've talked to some multiple scientists and. Uh, but you're the actual end user who's getting out there and making the most noise and uh, kind of stirring the pot and getting things done. So I, I thought it was, uh, it was important to get you on here and to give you the opportunity, to, you know, to talk to all my listeners as well, because, you know, you're one of the ones that are actually using this gear. Yeah. Um, well, I appreciate you having me on and, you know, I'm here, like you said, just as a firefighter. I, I don't really represent anyone but myself. Uh, nobody's paying me to be here. Nobody's paying me to have this opinion. This opinion was formed uh, over the last year. Somebody who didn't know anything about this, and I've put a lot of time and effort into researching it, and that's where my opinion comes from. And, you know, I've heard some of the people that you've had on your show, and I think it would be important for them you know, to start off maybe the interview by, by telling us if anybody's paying them for their opinion. Is anybody uh, financially backing their work and who those people are? Because while they, they may not um, necessarily, uh, those people may not necessarily be looking to mislead us or like I said earlier, to write the conclusion before they do the study. Um, but, I, but I think that 
where the you know where the money comes from seems to be uh, where the opinions come from, and so um, that's that's what I found, and I'm happy to to explain that to people anytime. Uh, there's loads of evidence out there; it just takes a little bit of research, and so I think anybody listening to this, when you when you listen to to anybody talk about this subject or any subject, something that I've learned that probably other people um, already realize is that don't listen, don't believe anybody until you go and figure out who they are and maybe why they're saying what they're saying. Because um, a lot of times all they're trying to do is muddy the water and and, and, um, and bring a little doubt to what, what people like Diane or Graham Peasley are, are telling us. And you know, when, when, you, when you dig deep into somebody like Graham Peasley, you don't find uh, DuPont <laughs> supporting him, you know? Uh, when you dig deep into some of these other people or sometimes not so deep, you find uh, who supports their university or who supports their, uh, their work. And so it's, it's really important. Uh, and I wish that people would just, of course they're not gonna do it, but I wish they would tell us um, if they're influenced at all. Exactly. Just having some kind of independent research that says, is this a problem? Is this not? If it is a problem, which we know it is, fixing it. You know, how many firefighters are there throughout the world that are wearing this stuff? That probably shouldn't be. If yeah. it is, if it is causing all these, all these different cancers and illnesses. Yeah. And at least give us the choice or at least give us the knowledge because they're not telling us, you know, nobody's telling us that they phased out PFOA because it's linked to cancer while we're all still wearing, nobody's telling us that, you know, no, why wasn't it recalled? Why, why didn't they send out letters? Even if you're abiding by an FPA and a 10 year rule, that still means like you said earlier, we're still wearing that stuff. Right. And we will be for four or five more years. A couple more years for sure. Yeah. And, um, and then, and then, you know, again, that C6, we don't know enough about it yet. Yeah. There has, right. There exactly. hasn't, there's yeah. been a C8 panel, but there hasn't been a C6 panel. Right. And so when, so say nothing happens 10 years from now, they find C6. Oh, sorry. It's linked to uh, brain cancer and, and all sorts of other things. They're just going to switch to something else and not tell us that. And we'll be stuck wearing that gear for 10 more years. That's how it's already gone. You know? Um, and they'll just buy the science so that they can keep operating. Uh, it, it's just a, it's the same story being told over and over again. And now it's the PFAS. It used to be tobacco. Um, it's the same thing. Yes. No, it, and it, flame retardants. And, right. and you and I won't be alive to even be able to say, I told you so. <laughs> no, we won't. And uh, those companies will still be making billions of dollars. Um, and pretending that they're not doing anything wrong, you know? And then, so one, one thing that came up recently that has kind of blown my mind, guess who now is in the water purification business? Who? DuPont. No. Well, DuPont, they call it DuPont Water Solutions. And uh, they, they're trying to clean up our water for our fee, of course, right? That's how they're making money now. So they're responsible. It's a truly evil company who is responsible for contaminating the entire world, basically, right? Them, 3M, and a few others. But DuPont's the big one. They've contaminated all of us, all of our blood, all of our children, um, our groundwater, the environment, polar bears, you name it. You're going to find their chemicals. And instead of admitting responsibility, they just uh, kind of swung off into something called chemors. And now they blame it all on them, even though they're basically the same people. They, ju they just changed the name. And now you can pay them to help clean up your water that they're responsible for contaminating. And nobody, nobody seems to mind. Where's the government? Where's the EPA? It's just how things appear to operate. And uh, meanwhile, People like us are the ones who are affected by it. No, this is audio, <clears throat> but uh, I mean, you and I can see each other, and it's just you just gotta shake your head, man. Yeah, it's incredible. It doesn't. I can't even believe. It's almost funny how in 
which insane it is that DuPont has DuPont water solutions. You know, and follow them. You can follow them on uh, social media. And it's like they're, you know, it's like they don't even recognize who they are. Just the hypocrisy of the whole thing. Yes. God. <laughs> well, well, I don't know how I'm going to top that. <laughs> um, do you got anything else you, you want to share? Anything else you want to say? You've got a, you got a form, you got a, you got an audience. Uh, um, we'll, we'll get to, we'll get to, we'll have a little bit of fun and do some personal stuff. I'll let, I'll, I'll do that. Uh, we'll do the 25, but you got the floor if you want to say anything else. Um, you know, I, I guess I could maybe tell another couple stories of my research quickly, if, if that's all right, because I think it might help other firefighters who maybe are just learning this and maybe they're going to make a phone call tomorrow to their distributor or to one of the textile manufacturers. Um, so one of the big ones out there, anybody can look it up online, is, is this textile company called Milliken. And so they have on their website, the Milliken white paper. And, and I think the subtitle is something like the truth about um, firefighters and cancer or something like that. I don't have it in front of me, but basically Milliken, they, they, they uh, produce this document that they call the Milliken white paper. And when you get down to the part about C6, so they talk a little bit, which, which contradicts other manufacturers. They talk about PFOA and how it was phased out because of what it's linked to. But meanwhile, you go to another manufacturer's website and they'll tell you PFOA is perfectly fine. Um, so it's a little bit contradictory. But then you get to the part about C6 and uh, there are a few references. So the, there's about a paragraph or two on C6. And one of the paragraphs ends by saying C6 is well studied and found to be extremely safe. And then there's a reference. So you go down and look um, at the bottom, you look at all the references. And I think in the whole C6 part, uh, those, those two paragraphs, there's maybe three or four citations. So you go down and look and you check out the citations. And so I looked into each one of them and who the authors were. And, and all of them, all of the authors who wrote that C6 is well-studied and extremely safe and some other things about C6, all of those people work for, guess who? DuPont, Camors, Ramball, Environ, these, these uh, either the people who make it or the people who the people who make it hire to tell us that it's safe. They're supposedly independent scientists and they're not because they're just paid for their, for their opinion. Um, they're paid for their science. And they're alongside people who actually, you know, you look up their LinkedIn. That's how I found them. And it says DuPont toxicologist, Chemours toxicologist. And so these are the people that Milliken, who makes probably, there's probably who knows how many firefighters out there right now wearing textiles in their turnout gear that come from Milliken. And if they were to call Milliken tomorrow or to look up on their website, they would tell them C6 has been well studied and it's found to be extremely safe, but they're basing that on science done by the people who make it. And so to me, that seems like a problem. Um, and so I, I, I ended up speaking to somebody uh, involved with that white paper and I asked him when, it, because he actually told me, he, in the conversation, he told me um, that I should look up their white paper. And I already had, and I already knew all this. So I, I asked him, why, why, are, why are everything you say about C6, why does it only come from the people who make it? Where's the independent science that also says that it's well-studied and found to be extremely safe? And he didn't have an answer because it doesn't exist. It was just silence. And then, so another person from there took over the call for a little while while this guy went, tried to find another study, an independent study, you know, scrambling to find something. And he came back on and said, I found one more, um, but it was written by Daikin, which is another chemical company. And so that's not independent either, but that's the best he could do is find something else from another chemical company who, who makes the stuff. Um, 
So, you know, if anybody's researching this and, you know, you go on these, these websites or you hear these people talk at conferences, uh, you, you know, I'm not saying everything they say is, is untrue or misleading, um, but you have to find out for yourself if it is. Don't, don't uh, take anything at face value because the bottom line is they're concerned about their bottom line and their profit. And uh, if they have to give us a little bit of misleading science so that we keep buying their turnout gear, then clearly they're going to do it because that's what they've been doing uh, for, for, for who knows how long. Um, the other one, once I started uh, get really getting into this research, I sort of got my hands on a study that came from another fire department who was speaking with, uh, speaking with a textile manufacturer and they told these people that they wanted some independent science that would prove that their, their gear is safe. That basically they were telling them that C6, the shorter chain newer PFAS chemicals are safe. So they told them, well, we want some independent science that proves that. So they ended up sending them this study uh, and I won't say who it was done by, um, and I'll tell you why in a minute, but they, they sent them this study that was sort of questioning and saying that maybe, you know, C6 um, in soil and groundwater, because it moves so quickly or for other reasons, is maybe not quite as much of a risk um, as maybe, you know, the older, the longer chain PFAS chemicals. And so this was their proof. And so I looked, again, I looked up the lead author of that and he, you know, to my surprise, actually, he's completely legitimate, um, completely well-respected um, independent scientist. And so, so I called, so I, I sent him an email, I found his email online and I sent him an email and we set up a phone call. And my first question was your study and I told him the, the title because he's probably done a million of them. I said, this study is being used by turnout gear manufacturers to send to firefighters to tell them that the C6 short chain chemicals are completely safe and there's no risk in being exposed to it. And he told me um, not only in the phone call, but in a follow-up email that his study has nothing to do with firefighters and nothing to do with firefighter turnout gear, nothing to do with textiles even, um, and that he was completely against his work being used to try to convince firefighters that C6 is safe. And, and he went as far as to say, you know, it's probably not safe because of, and he hasn't studied it, but because of the extremes that we're ex exposed to. So extremely high temperatures, maybe extremely low temperatures, um, and all the other hazards of crawling around and uh, throwing your turnout gear in and out of a truck, and the degradation that happens to the textiles and the fabrics from that. And so, you know, this, guy, this guy's study that he did on something completely different is now being replacing, you know, replacing the paid for science and they're just trying to pass it off as something to convince firefighters that, that, uh, that they have nothing to worry about. And the people who wrote the study don't agree with them, you know? And the, and the funny part is this guy sent it to this fire department because he knew probably that the scientist who did it was independent and well-respected, but he didn't count on the fact that somebody was gonna call the guy and ask him what he thought of it. And that's all you have to do. And you know, every single time something like this happens, when you follow through and research a little bit more, it, it all leads back to the same thing. And that is that the, the industry is trying to mislead us and um, you know, sometimes it takes a lot of research to figure that out. Sometimes it's a little, just a quick Google search. But uh, I think anybody who, who can put a little bit of time into this research will come to the same conclusion that I have. And I think they'll be just as angry about it as I am. Do you feel like, to put it quite simply, it's been, they've chosen profit over health? 100% uh, profit over health, um, you know, and, and they will, they'll stop at nothing, you know, 
they'll stop at nothing to to continue make sure that they don't uh, affect that profit um even if it means searching for science that they don't even know what it is but they know that it comes from somebody who's not a complete uh paid for hack scientist who's just selling his uh his opinion uh even if they do that if they have to go that far then they'll they'll do it all right well no good segue let's just get right to the 25 so you've seen this show before uh or at least heard it and you know i've got a list 25 questions i'm not gonna make you do them all but we'll do a handful of them and actually get to know a little bit about Sean, just the dude. All right. Sounds good. So why don't you, you know, I got these questions one through 25. Go ahead and just pick one. Uh, I'm thinking I'll start with 11. (laughs) All right. So I'm going to even rephrase this a little bit differently for you. All right. So, in Dark Waters 2, the greatest deception ever, who would play you? (laughs) Uh, uh, I don't know. Um, How about you? Me? Yeah, why not? Uh You know, we're both... uh, See, I got a great mustache right now, so I'd go, I don't know. Got the same hairstyle, though. Yeah, we do. Kind of Bruce Willis. That's right. That's what I'd be Bruce Willis. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good one. You agree? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Die Hard 8. (laughs) Uh, All right. We'll pick another question. Um. How about number two? All right. I think I know what your answer is going to be for this one. Toilet paper holder over or under? Oh, over. Thank over. You. Big yes. pet peeve of mine. That's under makes no sense. Anytime I uh, come across an under, I have to make it an over. It's true. Yeah. All right. Another number. That was easy. <laughs> it's too easy. Has anybody ever said under? My wife. Yeah. Yeah, mine too. Yeah. Paper towel, paper towel is always under, and I have to switch it to over. <laughs> um, uh, how about number 17? First car. First car was a uh, hand me down from my parents an Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme. Uh, probably like a early 90s, maybe late 80s. So I turned 16 in 1996. So it's probably around a 1990 Cutlass Supreme. That lasted quite a few years. I actually went to my brother first. He's two years older than me. And so uh, he drove it for he, a few years. He didn't ruin it for you? He didn't ruin it. No, I think I ruined it. And then that was, it didn't go to anybody else after that. <laughs> nice. All right, let's try one more. Um, how about number three? I always like this one. First concert. First concert was the Beach Boys. The Beach Boys uh, was probably 1985 or 86. There's a place called Great Woods in Massachusetts. It's not called that anymore. Um, but back then, it, it's an outdoor music venue called Great Woods. And uh, so back back then in the 80s, and still today, actually, I'm a big Beach Boys fan. And so we went uh, and saw the Beach Boys, and I think Roy Orbison was there also. No so, way. Yeah, pretty good. I'd go today if I, if I could. Um, but that was my first concert. Yeah, it was, it was good. I still remember. That's, wow. I mean, that's a great one to start with. <laughs> I mean, is this intact Beach Boys? Like Brian Wilson, they're all together. Uh, no, I think it was, it was, it, there was no Brian Wilson, but I think pretty much the rest of them were there. So Mike Love and, and all those guys. So Brian Wilson was already gone by then, but I did, I did see uh, probably about 10 years ago, my brother and I went and saw Brian Wilson solo 
Um, yep. Which is which is really good. I feel like uh, I know there's you know some of the Wilson brothers have died, but I've saw yes the Al Jardine, Mike Loves, yes. and then the the you know the Brian Wilson separately. Yes. There was uh, that they had a point, I think ten years ago, where they there was a summer in which they got together and I did not see them for that. That would have been cool. That would have been cool. Yeah. Um, but no, I didn't see them either. But uh anytime they're around, I try to try to go. It's it's a pretty fun concert. But yeah, Roy Orbison too. Roy Orbison, yeah. Part of the million dollar quartet. I mean that's I don't huge. Know. <laughs> no, no, that was. That's uh uh, Carl Perkins, Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, and Roy Orbison. And Roy Orbison. Right. And I think Jerry Lee Lewis is in there too, somehow. I don't know. <laughs> I saw a Broadway show once about it. It's pretty, <laughs> pretty damn cool. All right. I digress. Oh, there I said it. Dina's going to yeah. give me shit because I always say I digress too much. <laughs> I think I did good until right then. Um, where can individuals track you down? Um, I'm sure they're already monitoring us. Some of these people, <laughs> phones are tapped. I, I, you know, I don't know. I have, uh, I'm on Twitter, but I don't really tweet. Um, but I follow a lot of people, so I guess you could find me on. If there anybody and, wanted to email you, where were they email yet? So they can email me. Um, my email address is s m i t t c h y at gmail.com. All right. Good deal. And anybody can email me anything and I'm, I'm happy to uh, explain anything I've said further or um, just talk about, talk about stuff. Yeah. <laughs> what, what kind of stuff? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I take I'm that kidding. back. Yeah, I take uh, that back. Just like uh, PFAS questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I appreciate you banging the drum. Keep doing that. Um, for all my listeners, don't forget to share, comment, uh, like, you know, get this out there. Let's spread the word about this uh, and help, uh, you know, help Sean bang that drum some more. So with that, I thank you. He's Sean Mitchell. I'm Jim Bernica. And uh, we've already bullshitted for too long. So we're out of time. Thank you, Jim. All right. All right. Thank you, Sean.